0: You know, God wants encounters. He wants them, right? He wants them with you. He wants them with other people. He wants them with other people through you, right? So we have to bring ourselves into a place where we can be how they encounter him, right? So we can have the word on our lips so that they can encounter life, health, love. It's got to be in us, on us, on our lips, in our mouth, right? Right? Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to read it in the New King James first, so give me just a second. Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I'm going to read it now in the Passion Translation. Hebrews 5.12. For you should already be professors, instructing others by now. But instead, you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You're like children still needing milk and not yet ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. That's what I want to concentrate on tonight. This, These verses of scripture say that... We only stay like children when we don't have a revelation of righteousness. And so he wants us skilled. He said everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So if we're going to be skilled, if we're going to go on to maturity, if we're going to be teachers, then we have to have a revelation of righteousness. So tonight we're going on to a revelation of righteousness. Maybe you've had one. Maybe you need a new one. Maybe you need refresh. But that's what tonight is going to be. We... If we haven't been pierced, did you get that passion translation, pierced by the revelation of righteousness, then we need that. We have to have that. Notice that these scriptures are all about a lack of of spiritual growth. They're not growing because they're just satisfied with milk. They're not going on past that. You know, there's a song we sing in children's church, Jesus loves you which is great. It's the foundation of everything we believe. It's the foundation of everything we are. It's the foundation of everything we'll ever have is the love of God, that Jesus was the love of God for us, that he loves us. He so loved us, but we can't camp out there and it be all we know. Why does he love you? How did he love you? What's the result of him loving you? Those kinds of questions. Those are things kids don't ask, but when you're mature, you ask those kinds of questions. In my Passion Translation, when it talks about the children, when it talks about your, like, children still needing milk, there's a note in my Bible that says, you're still unfit to bear arms. Because how many of you know we don't give guns to kids, right? Right? We don't send kids to war, right? We don't want kids to fight in school. We don't want kids to battle, right? They're not made for that. So he was saying they're still, in the original language, it says still unfit to bear arms, which means they're unprepared for battle. We don't want to be unprepared for battle. So we have to understand this word of righteousness so we can be prepared for battle. You know, when you go to war, it's not always about you. It's about others, right? Our soldiers fight on our behalf. So when we're prepared for battle and we go fight, sometimes it's to free others. And so that's, see, those are the encounters that God wants us to have because he wants an encounter, but he needs a man. He's got to have a man. So, when you're talking about, um, you know, milk is easy to swallow, right? And if it's not milk, if it's solid food, then you actually have to chew on it, right? It means you gotta think on it. You gotta think about it. It's gonna take a while to get it down, to get it digested. And that's okay. Sometimes you just gotta take time and think about it. You can't just go through your Bible reading and not think about things. You gotta meditate, you gotta chew on it, right? It's a little harder to swallow sometimes, solid food than milk, right? right. And so you just got to take your time. So let's talk about righteousness. What is righteousness? It's being in right standing with God. That at its level, that's, that's what it is, being in right standing with God. You see, I was thinking about it today and I was like, well, I was thinking about questions people, new believers might would ask. Well, then why didn't God just make us righteous? Well, he did make us righteous. Well, then when did we lose that righteousness? Well, we lost it when Adam sinned in the garden. When he acted just like Satan, right? And he became unrighteous, just like Satan, right? And so we lost that righteousness. So God wasn't satisfied with that kind of a relationship, right? He wants to be with us all the time. The Bible says what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And God wanted better fellowship because we were unrighteous. So he needed to make, he wanted us righteous. (laughs) So he sent forth the son, right? To be our sacrifice. You know, we're talking, we were singing tonight about great is our God. Great are you, Lord. How can you not think about this on Easter week? Right? What great God we have. Who else could do what he did? Who else could have planned from the beginning of time? This plan. Who would have known this would have worked? Who would have known the power of blood? Who would have thought of that? People today don't even think about the power in the blood. They don't, they'll shed their blood. They, they don't think about it. But the life is in the blood. And our God is so great. He had a plan. He's had a plan. But He wanted us righteous as He is righteous. So He could fellowship with us, be with us all the time. We could be with Him all the time. He could move in. <laughs> Because we were separated from him. And he, that, he just wanted to be closer than a brother. Right? One. We're supposed to be one with him. And that's what he wanted. And that's what we want. Even when we don't know it, that's what we want. So in Ephesians 2.13, it says we were brought near by the blood. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, when God did the work that He accomplished with Jesus, don't you think God is a little more powerful than Satan? I do, because Jesus said, "I saw Satan fall like lightning." <laughs> that means God is a little bit, lot more powerful than Satan, right? So, what Jesus accomplished in Je- what God accomplished in Jesus was so much more than what Satan accomplished in Adam. So much more. It didn't just put us level. It didn't just make the score zero to zero again. It put us so far above. Why? Because we're righteous. We're going to get into that. So the power of the blood, the power of the blood, it's incorruptible. It will never fade. It will never diminish the blood of Jesus that makes us righteous. Why? Because he was raised to life. You know, typically when someone dies, their blood dies. But God raised Jesus to life, and that blood will live forever. Yes. It's not like, you know what I mean? Because he's alive, the blood is alive, and it will speak forever. It says it speaks in heaven on our behalf. That blood. Yeah. That blood that cries out, they're righteous. No, they're righteous. Yeah. They're righteous. Revelations twelve eleven tells us we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of our testimony. And we do not love our lives to the death. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. This is pretty big news that you're righteous. This isn't a little thing. This is big, big news. And we have to become more and more skilled in the word of righteousness. We have to get a righteousness consciousness. That we live in all the time. All the time. I was saying earlier, you know, that God wanted us righteous because he wanted us all the time. But he looked, it says, let me look at my notes. I'm going to be all over my notes tonight. I know it. Let's turn to Isaiah 59. This is such a good set of verses. It says in verse, let's see. I mean, Isaiah 59 is all about the iniquities and how people were living and acting and how it was just horrible, how people were horrible. It said justice is turned back in verse 14. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth was fallen in the street. Equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And then the Lord saw it. Don't you? Aren't you glad the Lord sees it? <laughs> Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. That's our great God. You know, if you turn back to 59 verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So in verse 16 or 17... 16, his own arm, that arm that is not too short, short, that cannot save, that arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. And he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. Is anybody picturing God doing this? God said, I am displeased. I will do something about this. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. He put on a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. In verse 18, it says he, had fear, he would repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. He said, And 19 says, so shall they fear. Can you imagine God coming at you? So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. <laughs> That's awesome. The redeemer will come to Zion and he will turn and to those who turn from transgression. I love it. And then it goes in, you know, Isaiah 60, arise, shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I love it. I love it. Go to Isaiah 61. <laughs> we know this one. The Spirit of the Lord God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Jesus preached this when he came. Right? To preach good tidings to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. All right. Isaiah 54. Boy, if you go back, if you haven't read Isaiah in a little while, please read Isaiah. And then circle every time he talks about righteousness. This was a promise that was coming back then. And and he had a lot, a lot, a lot to say about it. But Isaiah 54, let's turn there. Isaiah 54 says in verse 14, in righteousness, you will be established. You shall be far from oppression for you shall not fear and from terror for it shall not come near you. Verse 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me. Whenever the devil tries to tell me something's going on in my life because I did something wrong, I say, no, my righteousness is from God. (laughs) It's not based on what I did except for the one thing I did that believed that Jesus' blood was enough for me. That was my sacrifice. He says, in righteousness, you shall be established. So guys, we're established in righteousness. That's why your revelation of righteousness is so, so important. Because if you don't have a revelation of your righteousness, you will not be established. It's in righteousness that you'll be established. And then beyond that, you will be far from oppression. Far from oppression. That means you are not in oppression. You cannot be in oppression because you are the righteous and you are established in righteousness. Far from oppression, why? For you shall not fear. Why? Because I'm established in righteousness. You know, Kenneth Copeland always says that um, legally, legally, the devil can do nothing to you because you're righteous. He has no legal right to put anything on you, to come against you, nothing. He's just a jerk. He's just a jerk. He's just going to try it to see what you'll do. And then it's up to you. Do you believe he has the right? No, he doesn't have a right. You're righteous. You are righteous. And in righteousness, you will be established so that you will not fear. When you have a revelation of righteousness, you will not fear. There's no, I did something wrong, so the devil's going to get me. No, you're righteous. You will never be more righteous than you are right now if you're saved. You will never be more righteous. Now, can we act more righteous? Yes, we can. Can we get more revelation on who we are, the righteous? Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And we're getting skilled. Amen? We're getting skilled in righteousness. We're going to get skillful in righteousness. Kenneth Copeland said that if Satan has no legal right to touch the righteous, which he doesn't, then it would be just as absurd... For him to make you sick as Jesus. If you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, just like Jesus, then how? Do you see what I'm saying? But church, we've got to understand our righteousness. We've got to be skilled so we can be prepared for battle. So we can be fit to bear arms. So we know what's ours and we win. Amen? Amen. So God's going back through Isaiah. I want to go back to Isaiah 59. Well, here, let's talk about this. Being established. Trees of righteousness. Trees are established, right? Planted, established. He's anointed me that they may be called trees of righteousness, that he may be glorified. He goes on. And then, you know what? I was reading this. So, you know, our righteousness is by faith. Case we forgot. It's not by our works right it's by Jesus' work and our trust belief receiving that sacrifice as good enough for me that i don't have there's nothing more i have to do right to make me righteous so that establishes me so i have to believe what god says that that is enough every time every time and be quick every time second chronicles 2020 says it like this believe in the lord your god and you'll be established so what he says, pastor was talking about, he's been talking about the word of the Lord, the word of God, it makes you established. It's firm, steadfast, stable, right? So you have to believe the word that he says to be established, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. So when he says you're righteous, you're righteous. You're established anytime you're, no, I'm established that I am righteous. Oh my goodness. I know I'm just like going around and around, but if we understand this, if you get a revelation of this righteousness, of who you are in Christ, that you are righteous. He cannot touch you. What Jesus did, he's mighty, powerful. What the blood did for you, you made you a new creation, just like God. I remember Pastor Phil talking a few weeks ago. Excuse me, Pastor Phil, I don't remember the topic, but I remember him saying, and this is the point, this is a good point. That God brings us out. He brought us out to bring us in. He was talking about the Egyptians. Bring us out to bring us in. And this is some of the same problems we have today, everyone. Because when he brought them out, Pastor Phil was talking, when he brought them out, they complained in the wilderness. And they said, did you bring us out to kill us in the wilderness? But Christians, some Christians are still saying that today. Did you bring me out of darkness for me to live a miserable existence? Answer still no. <laughs> no, he didn't. He did not. He brought us out to bring us in. And then he sent his son. You know, it said in the, that verse is that we have to leave the first things that we learned, the foundational things. We have to go beyond that. But one of those foundational things I said was love. Love, simple love. That's the foundation everything's built on. But we shouldn't have to build it over and over and over and over again. You should be confident by now. Romans, can't think of where it's at. 8, 32. That's That's a good one. If God did not spare his own son, what would he not freely give you? Why would we question his love? Why would we question that he only wants us to bring us out so we can be miserable? Not have what the world has or whatever. No, that's questioning his love and that makes him not happy. Not happy. You know, because if you don't have a foundation in love, then you can't operate in faith because faith works by love. So if you aren't founded on love, then you can't mix your faith with anything he says because you don't trust him, because you're not sure he loves you. Can you imagine a marriage that you had to every day tell your spouse again that you love them because they weren't sure? I don't know about you, but I would get so tired of that, where I had to convince them that I love them. And then, you know, I would get tired. And you know what? God got tired of that in the wilderness. He just wanted them to believe him. Was he not good? Did he not deliver them? Is he not good? Has he not delivered you? Yeah. So what can we not believe him for? What can we not depend on him for now? And righteousness is one of those things. You are righteous. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's a fact. It's a fact. You're righteous. Sweetheart, you're righteous. Let me... Mm, that reminds me of a verse. Where is it? Isaiah forty six twelve. This isn't a good one. The stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. You know, who's not righteous people who are stubborn, who refuse to believe God. They just will not believe that's stubborn. They will not believe they're the only ones far from righteousness. And if you're not experiencing a life worth living because of your righteousness, maybe just maybe you're having a hard time believing it. Let's just believe it church. Let's just go all in. Let's just go all in and call ourselves righteous. Call one another righteous, get skilled in talking righteousness. The word of righteousness, it says skilled. You've got to be skilled in the word of righteousness. So let's get skilled in talking about it. Let's get skilled in explaining it. Go out there and explain. Honey, I'm sorry, you're not righteous. You're going to hell. What do you mean? What's that? Can you explain it? Can you tell them? They're missing something very important. But it's been provided free of charge by Jesus. And all they have to do is accept it. And I mean, the benefits are amazing. There's one scripture in Isaiah that says the work of righteousness is peace and the effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance, quietness and assurance forever. Do you want to know why that is? Because when you're in, when you're in a righteousness, you're established. So you have assurance all the time forever that you're going to be okay. Assurance. You have assurance. Quietness. You have perfect rest. Things around you are chaotic, but it's all going to work out. Why? I depend on God. He made me righteous. I couldn't even do that on my own. He did a miracle, a miracle in making me righteous. No one else can do that. No one else could do that. He made me righteous by the blood of Jesus. What can he not do? What can he not take care of in my life if he made me righteous? (laughs) My goodness. He's so, so good. So, so good. In 2 Chronicles 20, it says, Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. And you know that story. Or I think you do. The king went to, went, the king was all worried about this army coming against them, right? And so he goes to prayer and fasting. And then the prophet of the Lord says this. Believe in the Lord and you'll be established. So, God goes on to say, oh, I'm going to have to look it up because I didn't write it all down. He goes on to say, you will not have to fight. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that great news? You will not have to fight. The battle is not yours. You will not have to fight. That sounds like righteousness to me. I mean, I just got it. I didn't even have to, like, do anything. So he says, Do not be afraid for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Verse 17, position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's that's how I feel about righteousness. I I didn't have to fight for it, but I did position myself. You know, we still have to position ourselves, right? What, under the mighty hand of God, you have to humble yourself to get saved. You have to say, I can't do this. I'm a sinner, right? You have to position yourself, but then s- stand and see the salvation of the Lord. I can't explain to you how it happened. I don't even know. I didn't see anything happen. All I know is one moment I was this way and the next moment I was a new creation. Right. Things that didn't touch my heart before now touch my heart. Susan can witness. Th- I mean, things you would have, you, your emotions change. Your, your things, you're softer toward God. You're softer toward people. Things just change in the blink of an eye. And then you grow in it and you become different. You're just, your desires change. You, you don't even want to do the things you used to do. Why? Because you're righteous. Yeah. You're righteous. And now all you want to do is live according to that righteousness. Hmm. I'm going to go back to Isaiah 59. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man. And wondered that there was no intercessor. Shocker. Now there is. There's a man. There's an intercessor. You're one. I'm one. Right? So so how do we do this whole righteousness thing? Because... When we see something that displeases us, what are we supposed to do as righteous people? Well, therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, was clad with zeal as a cloak. Anybody ever felt that way before? Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do, I am so fed up with this. I am, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to do something about this. Nobody, nobody in here has ever felt like that. Thank you. (laughs) You put on your righteousness. You put on salvation. You're, you're zealous. You're like, God, this has got to change. Lord, this world is worshiping you like they should be. Something has to change. I'm doing something about this. And in fury, you attack your enemies and your adversaries. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in this age, right? Spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what we do. That's who we are. We copy God. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Paul said. We got to be just like God. We're children of light, children of righteousness, children of God. So we act just like him. What do we do? We do something about it. He has a man. 2 Corinthians 3.9. Let me turn there. How do I know he has a man? Because 2 Corinthians 3.9 says he's given us this ministry of righteousness. Oh wait, mate, was First Corinthians? Oh no, there it is. I like this passage because. First of all, let me bring out 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. talks about the ministry of reconciliation. He says he's made us ministers of reconciliation. I'll turn there and read it to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. So whose job is it? Ours. It's our job. He's given it to us. It's a gift. It's a gift. Can you imagine? Just imagine. And I know you've all done this before. But just imagine you going to someone unrighteous, giving them the word of righteousness. They accept it and they become a new creation. In that moment, they become righteous. The power of God shows up on the scene. But see, we're not thinking of it like this. We're not chewing on it. We're not meditating it. We're not skillful in this word of righteousness. We're just letting it go by and not think about it. This is everything. They are going to be established because of righteousness. These people, us, anyone we come in contact with that wants to get saved. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And I'm going to go back to I'm going to go back to 3. In verse 7 it says If the ministry of death, which was the law, the law brought death, right? So he's talking about the tablets when Moses received the Ten Commandments and all the law. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? I bring this up to say... If you want glory, start ministering righteousness because that ministry of righteousness is more glorious than when Moses got the law. And yet his face shone like the sun and they could barely look at him. Get a revelation of righteousness and start sharing it. If you want glory, if you want the glory, because it far exceeds the glory. Of that first one, of that ministry. In verse 9, it says, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Much more in glory. See, everybody's talking about we need a next great awakening. I totally agree. We need the next great awakening. You know what? So God agrees too. We need an awakening. But the one awakening he actually talks about in his word is awake to righteousness awake to righteousness church what if that's what it takes what if that's all it takes is for us the church to awake to this thing called righteousness that we already have we already are to walk in it to live in it to talk about it awake to righteousness and do not sin when you know you're the righteousness of God you how can you sin How can you disbelieve God and do anything? I mean, I know we all do it. Do anything in your own effort. Turn to yourself instead of this glorious, mighty God that we serve. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. It says, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Shouldn't we have the knowledge of God by now? Shouldn't everyone we know have this knowledge? What are we waiting for? I'm talking to myself talking to myself. There shouldn't be one person I run into. What am I waiting for? I have the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of righteousness, which brings glory on the scene, which brings power on the scene to do a miracle, to turn someone from unrighteous to righteous. What am I doing? Why am I not talking about this? Awake to righteousness. Some don't have this knowledge. I speak this to your shame. He says to awake to righteousness. I'm always amazed by that. So are we sleeping? Because if we're sleeping, I don't know about you, but I don't hear much when I'm sleeping. I mean, I can be awakened, but I'm pretty unresponsive for the most part, right? We're unresponsive if we're sleeping, guys. We're not perceptive. We're not discerning if we're sleeping, and especially if we're sleeping on this topic of righteousness. We're going on to maturity. How? Because we're getting skilled in the word of righteousness. Righteousness is going to teach us how to act. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given, dot, 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 a lot of other things, for instruction in righteousness. So if you think just getting saved just made you righteous and that's all there is to it, no. There's instruction in righteousness, right? I had had to learn how to live as a human right? When I was a child, I had to learn how to live as an adult. Isn't that the same? I have to learn how to live righteous. It doesn't mean I'm not righteous, but there's a way to live righteously and there's a way to not live righteously. In fact, in first John, John, I think it's chapter three or five, it says that there are those who practice righteousness and those who don't practice righteousness. And there's a big difference. One is a son of God and the other is not. Big, huge difference. If we're sons of God, then we should be practicing righteousness, which means we actually are doing something. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 5, it says that we have to be, in the Passion Translation, adequately trained by what you've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. It says it this way in the New King James, and I'm just more used to it that way solid food belongs to those who are who are mature or a full age that is those who by reason of use that's practice reason of use that's practice even in my margin there's a note practice you got to practice you got to practice being righteous that means you got to try isn't that practice i um, when i was learning to shoot a basketball i had to try it over and over and over again until i perfected it so we practice who have their who by practice have their senses exercised To discern both good and evil. Well, I think it's pretty easy to discern good and evil. Really? According to this verse, it takes practice. And it says it belongs to the mature. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Awake to righteousness. Let me read that verse in the uh, Amplified because it's... Kind of grabs your attention. Awake from your drunken stupor and return to your sober senses and right minds. And sin no more. That's pretty clear. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't write it and I'm reading someone else's words so you're not mad at me. And sin no more, you drunks. For some of you have not the knowledge of God. You are utterly and willfully and disgracefully ignorant. (laughs) And continue to be so. This is 1 Corinthians 15:34. You in the amplified, you are utterly and willfully and disgracefully ignorant. I don't want to be ignorant in how to live in righteousness. I don't want to be an, I don't want to be ignorant to be like God. Or how I I don't want to like not be like Jesus if he spent his blood for it for me to be like Jesus. That was a pretty hefty cost. That he suffered for me. You are utterly and willfully, that means I want to be, and disgracefully ignorant and continue to be so. Lacking the sense of God's presence and all true knowledge of him. I think it's funny that Paul says I say this to your shame as if that wasn't obvious. (laughs) Lacking the sense of God's presence and all true knowledge of him. Because I'm not awake to righteousness. I'm not awake to what He made me righteous, just like Him. I want to know Him, the power of His resurrection that made me righteous. I want to be like Him. And he did everything he could for me to be like him. There's nothing left. There's just me understanding it. And getting skilled in it. And I believe that's where God's taking us. As individuals, as a church, skilled in righteousness. Part of being skilled in righteousness is knowing that God does the work. I remember sitting in church on the front row and I came in on a Sunday morning and I had, God said one word to me. He said deluge. And when he said that, I saw flood waters sweep. I was standing over there on the front row. I saw flood water sweep from the front of the church. To the back of the church, and I saw it knock demons off people's shoulders by his power alone. That's his desire. And I just say, have your way. Yes, Lord. Bring a deluge. Bring your power. And we just have to come in and position ourselves for that, for that. Want it, be ready for it, believe for it. He said to me a few weeks ago, he said to me, I'm going to work a work in your days. And it was my days. He wasn't just quoting scripture. He was telling me, I'm going to work a work in your days. And the verse that, the, that he qu- he's quoting in scripture says that if I told you, you would not even believe it. That's so awesome. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know whether to cry or laugh. I'm kind of caught between the two. I'm going to work a work in your days. He's telling you, church. He's going to work a work in our days. That if he were to tell us it all right now, we would just be like, no way. What? But that's what we put our faith on. He's going to do the work. That's a part of understanding righteousness is he does the work. But we have to be the righteous. We have to be the man that stands in the gap. We have to be the one that stretches out his hand to heal. His arm isn't too short because my arm isn't too short. My arm isn't too short. He can knock a yoke and a burden right off his shoulder. By you. By you with the word of the Lord on your lips. And the anointing in your hand. Break the yoke off his neck. Because the anointing does that. And the righteous one is anointed. And you are the righteous. And you are anointed. And the spirit of the Lord is upon you. And he has anointed you to do this. To do all those things he wants us to do. So that you can go out there and you can do this. And then they become trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. So that he can be glorified. Because he still does it. He gets the glory because he's the only one who can do it. But he needs a man, and he hears, he hears the prayers of the righteous. Your prayers, don't even think for one moment that they're not effective. They're effective. I sat down with a young adult on Monday, last Monday, no, last Thursday. Last Thursday, I sat down with a young adult who needs a better job. And we talked and talked and talked. And before we broke, I said, well, let's pray. We're going to pray. This is the year of the open hand. We're asking God. This is the year of the open hand, church. We can ask. And his hand is open to give us what we need. He satisfies the desire of every, the desire of every living thing. So she had a desire for a new job. But she needs more money. He satisfies the desire. Those are exactly what I prayed. That's exactly what I prayed. That's exactly what I prayed. And we just believed. That afternoon, and I said, this is the day, the day we're living in is the open hand. So the day we're living in is that we get what we ask. There's no more like length of time because he's already said, I want to give to you. That afternoon, she called me and out of the blue, someone called her for an interview. And this was Thursday, on Monday morning, she texted me and said, I got the job. Your prayers are effective. The prayers of the righteous, especially those who know they are, are effective. They're effective. Keep praying. Don't stop asking. Ask. Ask. He is telling us this year, through his prophet, I will satisfy the desire of every living thing. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. Position yourself under the mighty hand of God. Make sure your desires line up with his desires. And then just believe. You're the righteous. Get revelation of being the righteous. Amen? Amen. Is there anything else, Pastor? Do you have anything? Eric?
1: You said it, but I just want to make sure that we all got it. How do we get into righteousness? The scripture says in Romans 4, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so when God, uh, when we get born again, which is the greatest miracle. Yeah, healing body, you know, those kinds of things are stuff we want to see. But the greatest miracle of all is someone is reborn in the Spirit. And what God does, and, and she read the Scripture, and I just got a picture of it.
0: Yeah.
1: But what He does is He He plants Himself in us. Amen. The The planting of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's what that scripture said. And so we are planted like trees (laughs) of righteousness. We shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in the season. Right? Mm -hmm. Whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever we do shall prosper. But Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It goes on to say, if it were of works, he could boast, but he can't boast. Why? Because Jesus was made to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become this righteousness. So this awakening, great awakening, could could it be? That the body of Christ begins to understand who we are and who we've been created to be yes. in, in Christ Jesus, yes. who we've been recreated or born again to be, to be.
0: Awesome.
1: This is amazing. <laughs>
0: it's awesome. I'll end on this. Isaiah sixty one ten says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. See, if, 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 if me talking to you about righteousness hasn't hit you yet, if that joy, if that just amazement hasn't hit you yet, you just keep thinking about it until you get there. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And then it goes on to say, So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. All the nations. I want them all. I want all the nations righteous. I want righteousness and praise to break forth across this globe, one end to the other, top to the bottom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's let, us, let it be us first. Can you rejoice in your salvation? Praise God! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord!